Welcome to A Handful of Hope, where we bring you heart-to-heart conversations with heart-centered people. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of A Handful of Hope. I am so happy and grateful to have Pamela Russell with us here today, who using her straightforward, compassionate style, Pamela enjoys creating fullness of being within her clients as well as herself. She believes that exploring the ever-expanding human potential is a joyful progression of discovery. Pamela's work is largely formed by the tools of Psych-K, Neo, and Energy Psychology, and Classical Five-Element Acupuncture. Her extensive background in the healing arts and meditation allows her to utilize these body-centered healing modalities to affect change in her clients. Over the past decade, Pamela has served hundreds of clients from all over the world and of every walk of life. She enjoys seeing people transform through this rare blend of work Using intuitive detective skills, she draws out answers that connect unseen pieces. This allows her to cl- her clients to create the mindset and life that they want while empowering each person towards balance, health, and their unlimited you. Pamela, welcome and thank you so very much for being here. Thanks for having me, Jesse. It's an honor. I think the honor is mine and I'm hoping that we can, just for everybody's edification, we've been talking for about 10-15 minutes before we hit record and our goal is to capture a, just a small sliver of some of what Pamela was just sharing before we started and because it was an absolutely fascinating discussion and maybe we can start with that. We were talking about kindness beforehand and you were saying that you had seen a post or a shirt of someone saying what was the asking the question what is the kindest thing you've ever done and or what was the kindest thing somebody's ever done for you? Yeah. And it got you thinking. So I'll let you take it from there and kind of expand on that. Yeah. When that, when that question was posed to me, this immediate recollection of, of when my daughter was four months old uh, came up and what had happened at that time in my life was the gentleman that I was with, um, decided that this situation was not for him and he walked away from it or more to a fact, I made the choice that this, if that was where he was, then I wasn't going to be staying around and what was healthiest for my daughter and I was to find another place to be because of the journey that we had made before then I basically had spent all of my savings um, getting us to where we were. And I was on bed rest because of a doctor's orders previous uh, to the end of the pregnancy. And so I hadn't been able to work and I didn't have any more savings. So I had a four month old and virtually no money and a woman in my community that I had maybe met a couple of times opened her and her family's home to me and my daughter. Um, We were homeless, basically. And we got to stay with them for two months and get back on our feet. And I was in deep, deep postpartum depression. So much so I didn't realize how deep it was until I got out of it 20 months later. And I had a very nonchalant thought of, well, if if I'm not here, then my mom will take care of my daughter. And it was a simple thought of literally, oh, I don't, you know, I I don't have time to go to the grocery store today. There should be enough food in the, in the refrigerator and I'll be able to 
you know, go tomorrow. And that was literally how simple that thought of, I don't need to be here anymore was. And I heard myself and I went, oh my God, I need help. I need support. And another woman in that same community um, was able to work with me and help me through that time period. So these were the, this was the situation that came up almost effortlessly when this question was posed to me. And I thought kindness that, that doesn't encompass what that was for me. So I thought on it more and I went, is it generosity? Is that grace? And all I could feel is that I can still, even telling the story right now, I can feel the desperation in my heart and the, the tightness in my chest of where I was. And that level of emotion is still very available to me, which to me tells me I, that's still a trauma that I haven't worked through. But that got me thinking even more. What what is kindness? What is generosity? What is grace? What, what, how do we label these emotions? And looking at what we're asking the world to do right now is to be kind. So what does that really mean? I think that's such a, such an incredible story. Not just because of the actions, the action in the both actions from both the women, but also your willingness to ask for and receive help. And then also the, the examination that you're providing of it, because it's interesting to hear your experience of it. You're a you as the recipient for you being the recipient of the action. It was so much bigger than just somebody being kind. It was, it was, it was beyond kind, beyond generous, beyond like, so much so that you don't have the language necessarily for it, especially considering where you're at in that time of your life. And it'd be so fascinating that if we had the giver, the gifter of that, and we're able to ask her independent of hearing what you said and say, what would you, what would you, if you had to give a name to the action you took, what name would you give it? Would you call it kindness? Would you call it generosity? Would you call it, because, and I think this, it speaks so much to perception, right? And the power of it. Mm. It's, it's the idea that our realities are not fixed. Mm. And I, and what's, what's so incredible, Pamela, about hearing you share this story is I'm wondering if, it would have been as meaningful and, I, and I, I'm assuming transformational for you had you just perceived it as merely an act of kindness, right? Had you not have perceived it as being this bigger thing because you felt it so deeply and you had likely experienced kindness to some degree before that. And that part of us that's saying, well, here's kindness before, but this is here. And so this has to be something different. Yeah. I feel like in reflecting on this question, it's helped me to recognize that kindness 
it's almost, and I don't want to, I don't want to put this out there like I'm belittling kindness. Please don't, don't take it that way. But instead, it's this kindness are these small acts. They're digestible. There's things that, you know, you see a piece of trash on the ground, you pick it up. Uh, you recognize that um, maybe you're in the kitchen with your partner and they're putting together a salad and they haven't gotten out the lettuce yet. You know, they're chopping up some vegetables. So you simply go to the refrigerator, pull it out and set it down next to them so that they can be in the flow of making something. Those things, those are kind. Those are a small extension of acknowledging your environment around you. And it feels like these, these bigger pieces, um, I kind of like the word digestible. It's mm. like a big meal. Like kindness can be little snacks that we do throughout the day, you know? Whereas, whereas something like the story that I shared, it's like Thanksgiving. <laughs> it's like there's appetizers, there's main meals, there's side dishes, there's dessert. When you look at it in a bigger sense, you see how much work or you feel that that immense amount of effort and um, it's going to take a while to get through this kind of feel to it versus, you know, if you sit down and have a handful of almonds, you know, that that's satiating yeah. and that's really lovely. And yeah, I don't know. What, how does that land for you? I like it. Anytime we bring in, we bring in food analogies, I'm all, I'm all game for it. And when we can draw one to the extent of Thanksgiving or a buffet or something like that, I'm, I'm 100% on board with it. But I, I agree. I think there is, I like where you're going with that because I think it gives us, I, I think it gives us some sort of familiarity to explore more. I think one of the challenges humans face in really exploring their emotional capacity is their linguistic limitations. Mm. You know, I think depending on the field of psychology you're a practitioner of, there's anywhere from something like 1,400 to 4,000 names for emotions. And depending on what your language is, what your culture is, there's going to be even more deviations of it, more or less, depending on. I think in Russian, there is like six or seven different words for different shades of blue. And in English, we just say blue, right? Or then we might call it some other kinds of blue, but just there, so there's this, there's this different richness and intricacy depending on language. And, and I think that sometimes, especially because we know that most of our unconscious thoughts for the majority of us, upwards of 70, 75% of them are not what we would qualify as negative or not positive. Mm -hmm. And what that does is it defaults us to going to kind of the big group of emotions, anger, frustrated, upset. You know, we, we have happy, sad, maybe depressed right now during this time, scared. I think people are using uncertain a little bit more, unsure. But, you know, it's, it's, in, it's kind of in those general umbrellas. Love would be in there. And we often don't venture beyond those umbrellas because we don't have the linguistic capacity to do it. Yeah. I love you bringing in the food because food is something that we can all relate to. Mm 
and it it gives a ample substitute where language sometimes fails us to start to really invite an exploration of the bigger impact because hearing you tell your story I agree that that experience for you was so far beyond kindness. It, it was so far and it in what I'm hearing from you too Pamela is is if you would have accepted it merely as kindness, not merely as kindness, again not to diminish kindness. Right. If you'd accepted it only as kindness, you may not have given yourself the gift of fully embracing the emotional impact that had on your life. And it continues to have on your life today because many of us have experienced many acts of kindness throughout our life, but we don't remember most of them when that question's posed because many of those acts are going and getting the lettuce out to help make the sandwich. But we do remember the best buffet or the best Thanksgiving dinner we had. It'd be <laughs> specifically, as you're talking, I was thinking about the mashed potatoes I made last year and they were pretty friggin' awesome. <laughs> if I do say so myself. <laughs> And then I think, oh God, I should, it's only a couple more months until that. Maybe I'll make them beforehand too. Do you find, I'm curious, do you find in your work you do with folks, do you find sometimes people are getting stuck? Well, actually let's, let's, let's broaden this a little bit. Do you find that people are getting stuck or maybe emotionally held hostage because of traumas or difficult times they've gone through, but then also does what we were just talking about factor into it, that they're still looking at those appetizers, the handful of almonds and their emotional experience, and they're not able to really access or realize the Thanksgiving buffet that's out there and available to them? Mm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, a clarification for me in when I work with people specifically, I use the word trauma a lot. Um, and trauma to me is a hard experience that can happen in an everyday situation. Hmm. A lot of times people classify trauma as those really big in life well it is life altering that's part of the definition for me but things unfortunately like rape or war and those are traumas and so people say oh well i don't have any traumas uh to me when i define trauma um i kind of tell the story of you could be fighting with your mom over something that as a kid you just really wanted that toy and she's saying no which is reasonable for a parent but at you know, seven years old, you want that and you stomp off. And as you're stomping off, you stub your toe. And somehow that ingrains in your body, this anger, frustration, I don't get what I want. And then 20 years down the road, you start having this ache in your toe and you don't know why. You're like, well, I was playing basketball last week. So maybe I, you know, kind of tweaked it when I landed wrong or And so we go down this physical road, but what I get to do is I get to explore that with people. And then all of a sudden we are being led back to the fact that this is actually about not getting what you want and feeling angry about it. And that's all encompassed in your toe. 
Now we may never get to the story of you having an argument with your mom and that's where it came from directly, but recognizing that we can hold these things in our bodies, these emotional qualities that we don't recognize and that we then can look at in a greater whole and see the struggle of how did this anger and lack of connection to acknowledging and labeling this anger hinder that potential of who we are, of being able to be with that anger of not getting what we want, seeing it for what it is, moving through that beautifully, and then engaging with life the way we actually want to, which may bring us to getting what we want. But instead, that quote trauma is holding us back and putting us into kind of a survival mode and not um, allowing us to, to really step into the fullness of who we are. So acknowledging those emotional qualities um, that, that ability to label things for ourselves and to begin to see a little more clearly um, or touch into the, that emotionality and how it affects us is really, really key. And I think that that's part of the human quality struggle that we're individually each feeling and therefore communally feeling. I love your definition of trauma. I think that might be that I felt that one. I, I really resonated with that definition. How does trauma define us? It's a really good question. Going back to the example of stubbing your toe. in that moment you as an individual would probably not you know yeah ow that hurts but you wouldn't necessarily label it as a trauma and of course there are much bigger instances of what trauma can be and oftentimes those are actually easier for us to see um and with the right support work through and grow from but it's those more mundane, everyday traumas of um, not feeling good enough because we didn't get that right grade or um, not feeling included because we really wanted to be a part of, you know, I'm thinking of my own childhood. My brother, he's three years older than me, um, and I grew up in a neighborhood that was all boys, all boys. There was only one that was a little younger than I was, but all of them were about three to four years older. And man, I just wanted to be included. But I was a girl and I was a little sister on top of it all. And that was a huge thing for me because I wasn't included in a lot of things. Mm. That was a trauma that defined how 
extroverted I became because I was so determined to be included. That determined the fact that I started stepping into leadership roles because if someone else wasn't going to include me, I was going to start it and then I was going to bring people in who wanted to be included. So in my case, I feel very blessed that that particular trauma I took to define in, while it was a struggle, a positive way. But in that same way, that same trauma, I could have then defined myself as unlovable, as unacceptable. I could have shelled myself away and walled myself off from society and become really closed in. And not, not to say that people who are introverts and who perhaps prefer to be by themselves more so than out in the world have some trauma that's causing them to do this. I'm just saying for my own self, that was, I recognized that there was a fork in the road and somehow I chose the path that I did. But it defined who I was and how I showed up in the world and how I show up for other people. And then I have the empathy to be able to reflect on that and say, okay, this is something that I went through. Now I get to be curious with you, who's experiencing this feeling of not being included. Where does that stem from for you? What does that bring forward for you? How has that affected you in your world? And that, that's the kind of questioning that we get to ask ourselves really around when we recognize a trauma and how it can define us. How much do you feel like, if any, the emotional ramifications of trauma are attached to a comparison of, right? Because it was interesting hearing your examples. It's, it's the, it's the first part is defining trauma as the going to war or being raped. And then if I haven't been to war, or if I haven't been raped, is it a trauma or am I supposed to call it a trauma because it's not as bad as them? It's nothing compared to them. And I'm curious about what your opinion is on this because, you know, the challenge with all human beings, right, is we don't know what we don't know. We only have our experience. And while some of us have never been put in war or had something like rape happen to us, we may have experienced trauma and other capacities. Like maybe our life has been so blessed that the worst thing we've suffered is that stubbed toe. But because we haven't had the, the scope of life to stretch us, to challenge us in ways that others who have gone through horrific things have, that in that moment, in the moments thereafter can seem so, you know, almost met with a similar intensity from their perspective. 
And then if it's compounded with the person not being there to reassure them or to let them know it's okay or to care for them afterwards because they're in pain and they want to be cared for, then from that, they, they, they feel alone or they feel forgotten or not enough or not deserving or worthy of love. And to me, it seems in, and just in hearing you chat right now, it's like there's a traumatic experience and then there's also the, the maybe, and I don't even know if self-imposed becomes a strong word because it is, but I don't think we even realize we're doing it. The self-imposed trauma afterwards of us comparing our experience to somebody else and then making our experience more or less significant depending on what someone else has said their experience was. I think um, the word honor comes up when I hear what you're saying, because comparisonitis is real. It really is. Um, I think it's part of human nature. And if we are aware of it, we can work with it. But it's instilled from our society, at least here in the US, and from my experience of, of being in other countries, um, it's, it's not very different. Uh, there's definitely an innate nature to compare. Um, and if we can honor someone else's experience for what it is, or honor our experience for what it is, we're more likely to be present with it and less in the comparison. But that's a muscle. That's a muscle mm -hmm. that we have to build and that's something that we have to be aware of and be willing to practice. Um, I watch it with my daughter all the time, you know? Oh, so-and-so did this better than I did. And, and so I get to bring her back to asking her what kind of effort did she put into it and bringing it back to honoring her own experience of it because uh, we talk about practice as a consistency, a level of consistency instead of, um, here's an example, practice makes perfect. Almost everyone has heard that. It has become a societal belief. And I refuse to use it in our house because I think it's demoralizing. There isn't a perfect. I taught her early on, all we have is divinely perfect. And there is no humanly perfect. And, you know, at six, she has a decent concept of what that is. Um, and so I say, if we're consistent and we put effort into something, that objective gets easier and easier. And this morning she literally said, yes, like when I didn't used to be able to whistle and now I can because I was consistent 
and I kept practicing, I put effort into it. So having that recognition is huge because then we can actually, and here we go full circle, be kind with ourselves mm. and offer that small gift of, I don't need to compare with this person's trauma against mine. I can honor where they are versus where I am. I can see, okay, this is the bigger picture and this is the bigger picture. Then I don't have to take it as personally. And I can actually be a little bit more objective and maybe touch into my emotions and label that a little differently instead of instantly being hurt because I'm less than, because I couldn't do it as well as, or my experience isn't as potent because that person experienced war and all I've ever done is read about it. So being able to step back and, and have that compassion in a situation to be able to see the bigger picture, um, I think would afford a lot of people less pain around that kind of comparison. Compassion for themselves. Yeah. Pema, before I ask my final question, where can people find you online? The easiest place to find me is at inawakeningmind.com. We are coming up to that juncture where I told you we'd get to where selfishly I feel like we haven't begun to scratch the surface of how deep I would love to go with this conversation. Mm. But out of respect of time for our viewers and listeners, we'll end with this. I love you brought it full circle with kindness and then now introducing compassion. Is compassion something, especially compassion for self, is it something that we can develop a daily practice, a daily ritual around? Is it some strategies that you recommend your clients do? And if there are rituals, practices, strategies, would you be open to sharing maybe one or two of them just to wrap things up? Absolutely. Um, it's a huge practice. Um, I was gifted the connection to meditation over 16 years ago. And for me, uh, the biggest piece was that this is a body-based meditation. It's not just about calming the mind. It's actually about exploring the body and finding where emotions are because our minds naturally can go a mile a minute and it can really bring up a situation. One of the practices that I have for myself is before I can even label an emotion, I feel where it is in my body. Hmm. And Sometimes that can be really painful, but oftentimes 
this kind of practice is really helpful. And so that desperation I was talking about earlier is right there in the center of my chest. Some people might call it the heart chakra area. And the practice of that is to feel it and then give it something that it needs. So that desperation, it needs to be held. It needs a hug. So I've had to go through the feeling first, acknowledging where is it in my body and then asking what does it need and sitting in that uncomfortable feeling of desperation until I'm clear of what that needs. And then asking, can I give it? Can I give myself that holding, that hug? That's compassion. So that's one of the things that I, I do for myself and will also lead my clients and even my daughter through is teaching that we can give ourselves what we need. And maybe not always in every situation, but this is, this is a small act of kindness and compassion of acknowledging that emotional quality. And sometimes we can't label it. We can just feel it. And that's a great starting place because after we're able to be with it and give ourselves that compassion, oftentimes we're able to then have a, a clearer mind around being able to know what that really is and label it. Everyone, my goodness is this one, you're gonna to wanna to rewatch and re-listen. I don't know about all of you, but I found myself oscillating between these moments of being fully present with what Pamela was sharing and then going, having these very fascinating moments of introspection and inflection as something she would share would pop up a random image or a random memory for me that I hadn't saw or thought of for quite some time. And it was almost like what she was saying was speaking to this part of me that was housing that memory and there and there it was. And it gave me this really cool opportunity to examine it. So I don't know if any of you found that experience, but it was something really incredible to see. And I think it's the power to what she's sharing and the truth in it too. We had a fascinating discussion on kindness and how sometimes we may not be properly labeling the just magnitude of our experiences by putting the limitation of potentially what kindness might provide. And to allow yourself to look deeper and explore the emotional, a broader emotional range when it comes to some of your most meaningful experiences. Should we explore trauma? And we had a fascinating discussion on the definition of it, which her definition is one of my, I think, one of the most, I don't want to say favorite, but I, it, but with, for lack of language, one of my most favorite definitions of trauma, because I think that what it does is it gives grace to all of us to acknowledge those significant events that we've all experienced as what they are traumatic to us. And it also gives us permission, I think, in some way to remove some of that comparison-itis that she was talking about and allow us to then do some work and focusing on really healing the trauma as opposed to getting so stuck in focusing and obsessing over why my trauma may or may not be as significant as someone else who's gone through something that I perceive as being more significant than me looking at how we define trauma and how trauma may define us 
coming full circle to the idea of kindness and how we can extend those little handfuls of almonds to us, but also acknowledge that the whole Thanksgiving buffet is out there and that when we experience it, find the word and the label and the emotion, open your heart to the emotion of it so that you can fully, fully embrace it. And then coming full circle to compassion, right? The idea of pausing before labeling, how many of us get ourselves in that tornado of emotional destruction because we start to feel something and we immediately affix a label to it. And that label may not even be fully accurate, but again, because of our linguistic limitations, we feel something, we immediately call it mad or angry when really maybe we're just a little perturbed by something. But because we call it mad or angry, we're, we're pushing that mad, angry program inside of us. And before we realize it, we really are mad and angry. But instead of going right to the label to notice where it is in your body, just to be aware. And then instead of putting that label on, extend some sort of act of compassion towards yourself. Pretty powerful stuff. Pamela, this has been such an incredible conversation with you today. I so thank you for your time and you being willing to share your gifts with us today. Thank you. Thank you, Jesse. This has been an amazing experience to be with you. Thank you. We will see you next time, everyone, on another edition of A Handful of Hope. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening. If you're finding value in these conversations, please rate and review on Apple, Google, Stitcher, or wherever your favorite place is to listen to